life has a lot of rules. Rules for home, rules for the road, and rules for school. Rules for the real world, and for the not so real world. Rules for dating, which have sub rules. Which have sub sub rules and sub 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 rules. We even have rules for how we see God. But what if there's a set of rules that wasn't meant to control us, but meant to free us? And what if that list wasn't even about rules, but about a relationship? It's time to go behind the rules and see the big deal about this list of ten. Hey, two things real quick. First of all, if you're a guest, um, thanks for coming tonight. I'm really, really, really glad you're here. If you're a guest, if you've never been here before, and uh, I just hope you know that. I don't know. Maybe some of you are here tonight, and you're not a Christian, or you don't know what you believe, and your friend just drug you along. Um, that's okay. I'm glad you're here. Hope you like it. If you're not a guest, I'm also really, really glad you're here because. You're always here, but you should always be here, and thanks for showing up again this week. There's some people, like right over here, that I haven't seen for a long time, and it's really good to see some people um, like that. All right, we are, this is week one of a four-week series we are starting tonight called 10, and I want to start tonight with a really, really deep, deep question. How many of you have, by the raise uh, of your hands, seen the movie Despicable Me. Isn't that deep? Almost all of you. Raise your hand if you've never seen the movie Despicable Me. <laughs> Leo, Caitlin, a couple of you. All right, all right, there's a second one. How many of you have seen second one? How many of you say less of you? I still have not seen it. I would like to. How many of you say the second one is better than the first one? Second one is better than the first one. Not that many, all right. So not even worth seeing. If you haven't seen either movies, spoiler alert, I'm going to blow it for you. So, sorry. You can go out in the hallway real quick, maybe. Uh, if you haven't seen the movies, the main character in this movie is a guy named Gru. And Gru is a villain, like a super villain or something, and... Um, he, his goal in life is to be the most evil, the most heinous villain of all time, to pull off the most incredible um, heists, the best attempts at thievery, and um, that's kind of his mission. And uh, his mission is kind of, right at the beginning, another, um, another villain, I don't know if it's a new guy, pulls off a pretty good heist and he, t- and he steals one of the great pyramids of Egypt. It's right at the beginning of the movie. And Gru's pride is just sort of wounded. I mean, he's kind of like, ah, we're not so great. Um, he pulls, you know, he has all those minions, those little yellow guys. I saw a great minion costume for Halloween last week. It was awesome. It was made out of a kitchen trash can, and it was perfect. But he gets with his minions, and he's like, you know, he talks about what they've done that year. Really nothing um, super great. And so in attempts to sort of regain the number one spot, he plans to pull off what he think is thinks is the most, like, yeah, the greatest act of thievery ever, and he's going to steal a shrink ray, and he's going to steal what? 
the moon. Yes, he's going to steal the moon. And really, what happens, the real problem in the movie where the tension kind of goes up, I mean, it's just weird. I've never seen a movie before this one that's really about villains. But the cool thing is these three girls come along, they enter his life. He adopts them, actually, in order to, like, steal the shrink ray to get the moon. But they, like, steal his heart, right? And they melt his heart, and eventually he, like, loves these girls, and so they sort of get in the way. But here's the point. Before he met those girls, he had one goal in mind, and that was to gain acceptance before the board of evil villains or whatever that was. It's like the board of villains or something. But his goal was to gain their acceptance by performing the greatest, the greatest crime of all time. Now, here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. I'm sure none of us thought this as we were watching the movie. I didn't think this as we were watching the movie, but I was thinking about it this last week. I think sometimes we are a lot like Gru. And no, I'm not saying that we're like supervillains and we're like so evil or so sinful. Most of us, though, think that we have to perform a certain way in order to be loved by those closest to us. Much like Gru is trying to gain acceptance through these, like, kind of head guys in a certain way. Very, very often we slip into thinking that doing good things will gain us love from our parents or from our friends or even from God. And if we're honest, if we're really honest with ourselves deep down, we think that we have to earn God's acceptance if we're ever going to be right with Him, if we're ever going to like fully know that we have a relationship with God, that we're right before God. We think we have to earn God's acceptance, and we have to be really, really good to do that. And then maybe there's some of you in here, maybe perhaps there are a few who know that that's not true, that you're not saved by being good or by performing or by earning, um, but we still get a little nervous because some of us, even if we've been Christians our whole life, there was that one, there's that one thing that you maybe did that once. There's that one thing that you struggle with, maybe now a lot. There was that one moment, that one party, that one whatever, maybe that one specific thing, and it's pretty terrible, and you're pretty good at it, or you just really, really like it, whatever it is. And so sometimes even you start to go, I know I'm not saved by like just being good, but am I really a Christian? I say I am, but am I really getting this? Or is this whole thing just like, am I not? I have no idea, maybe. How do I really know? And so here's my question. My question is, as we dive into this, where do we get this idea that we need to perform in order to be loved? Where did that idea come from? Now, I was thinking of this this last week. Wasn't it, maybe it's mostly the way we're raised, right? That's got to be it, right? Because our parents, all of our parents raise us to know right and wrong and to obey instead of not behaving. They teach us right and wrong. It's not even a Christian thing, right? You know plenty of your non-Christian friends have parents who've taught them to try to be good and to not be bad. So, so maybe that's it. Like maybe it just comes from our parents. Who knows where they got it? And they got it from their their parents, of course, and they got it from their parents, and it was just kind of passed on. But this whole, like, morality, goodness thing, it's, I don't know, it just kind of came up somewhere. Maybe you think that it's part of evolution or it evolved or something. I don't know. But here's the problem with that. I thought, yeah, but really, truly, most of our parents, we know they love us despite our behavior, right? 
They maybe, we maybe think they love us a little more if we obey them right away or clean our rooms. But deep down, we know, like, even if I, like, do something crazy, well, my mom and dad still love me. Like, I know that. So, so maybe that's it, but maybe we got it from the Bible. Is that not a possibility? Like, maybe this all stems back all the way back to the Bible. I mean, there, there are a lot of, a lot of commands. And there's a lot of rules in the Bible, right? And, uh, and God does seem to be pretty strict, especially in the Old Testament. And so for a lot of us, it maybe comes back to the Bible. And certainly, if anything, it maybe comes back to the, the Ten Commandments, right? No surprise there. We're doing a series called Ten, and it's a church. What are we talking about? So we're talking about the Ten Commandments. But, but maybe, maybe that's it. I mean, it's safe to say, I think, that all of you in here have heard of the Ten Commandments. And when it comes to, again, you, I mean, even if you're not a Christian or Almost everybody, you've heard of these things. When it comes to the Bible, and it, when it comes to maybe familiar parts of the Bible, famous parts of the Bible, man, the Ten Commandments are like, they are the most famous passions of the Bible. Maybe besides John 3.16, um, maybe that's up there. But at least the idea of them, now we couldn't name all ten, right? If I asked you to stand up right now and name all ten, you think you could do it? There's a lot. Some of them seem almost repetitive. But here's the thing, get this. There is an underlying assumption that God came down and gave us these ten rules to live by, and these ten are the standard for measuring how good we are. I mean, if there's a standard anywhere in the Bible, this has got to be it, right? Now, maybe God doesn't quite say that, but essentially, Moses got these from God. If there's a standard of goodness anywhere in the Bible, the Ten Commandments like have to be it, aren't they? Now, I do think so. Isn't it kind of funny, though, then, that we, like, none of us could probably name all ten? I've been working here at Brookside, you guys, for um, seven, eight years now. I remember once in this room, we had a staff meeting, and we were playing, like, Bible trivia, just as kind of a fun thing. We have an all-staff meeting. The whole staff gathers in this room on Tuesdays. And I remember this question came up, and I, like, oh, I'm so smart. I know the Bible. And I, like, stood up, and I took a shot at it. Didn't do it. Couldn't do it couldn't do it. I work at the church. Couldn't do it. And, and they're so famous and they're so good, and we can't even name them all. There's only 10. It's not that hard, right? And we know some of them. We know thou shalt not murder, and we know thou shalt not steal. We know uh, there's something in there about lying, or it's maybe they don't use that word, but something about lying. Maybe you know honor your father and mother, especially because we talked about that just a little while ago in the fighter series. But what about, I mean, what about the first commandment? Or what about the second one? I mean, aren't they kind of like so, almost somewhat, right? I mean, aren't number one and number two, aren't they probably the most important? Like, we should at least know number one and two. Stealing, isn't that down there like eight or nine? So we don't, you know, we maybe don't know some of the first couple. And most of us would probably just say, yeah, but Brad, I know it's not that big a deal, and we don't have to memorize the Ten Commandments, and like, I can be a Christian, and I, and I give you that. But we tend to go, yeah, I know they're really important, but I just don't know them which is kind of why we're going to talk about them for a while. But here's the thing. Still, we see, we see them as being one of, if not the most primary standard for what goodness is anywhere in the world. I mean, even very secular atheistic people would say, the Ten Commandments, that's, that's where we get some of these lists of right and wrong. And while we're on the subject, I want to make an observation that we're going to keep coming back to throughout this series, and it's this, that you can discover a lot about a person by the rules that they make, or by, by the rules that they come up with. And this is true in your family, and your family, you don't, they don't, your parents don't call them rules. Maybe they do, I guess. 
They're more just like, you, I mean, you just know that you can't do X, Y, or Z and let mom and dad find out about it. But your family, at school, there's obviously rules. At your job or your organization, there's kind of certain rules. At school, they're stated a little more uh, blatantly than at your job if you have a job. But you can tell a lot about a person by the rules that they've established. So, for example, take maybe two different teachers at school. The number one rule for, for one teacher may be different from the number one rule from a, for a different teacher based on what's important to them. So, for example, Miss Smith, let's say Miss Smith teaches English, and so her number one rule might be no talking while she's talking. And she would say that because she so values education, she wants you to learn English, understand proper English, and so not only does she want you to learn, she also is maybe kind of loopy and she loses her train of thought when you're talking while she's talking. So when that's Mrs. Smith's number one rule, that tells you something about Miss Smith. Now, Mr. Jones, on the other hand, maybe he teaches like biology or science, but he's also a coach. Mr. Jones, that's not the number one rule. He doesn't care so much about education if you're talking in this class. His number one rule, though, he's kind of a, a phys ed guy. And so his number one rule is like no chips and no pop in the classroom because he cares about you being healthy and not being overweight or being fit. So again, it just tells you something about Mr. Jones. So like I said, the rules a person sets says a lot about what that person values. Now get this. Here's what's incredible. Guys, for the next, for the next few weeks, we're going to look at God's rules. We're going to look at what God's rules say about who God is, and they tell us something. I mean, look at your parents. They set up rules for your safety, for you to not get in trouble, for you to not be harmed, for you to not get hurt. It says something about what we care about when we set up rules. And so when we look at God's rules, we discover what's important to God. His rules are going to reveal what's really valuable to Him. Now, tonight, um, before we get to the commandments themselves, tonight is really just kind of an introduction. And we're not, like I said, this is a four-week series. We're not going to take a week on every one of these commandments. I don't think we need to do that. But tonight is kind of an introduction. And here's a little Bible history we need to cover. So we're going to start in the book of Exodus. And I think from almost all this series, we'll be in the book of Exodus. If you don't know this, uh, minor little Bible trivia fact, the Ten Commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter, anyone know? Five. Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy 5. For this series, for most of it, we'll be in Exodus. And we're going to start in the book of Exodus, um, second book of the Bible. Exodus, if you're new to the Bible, new to church, is really about the nation of Israel leaving Egypt. But get this, for 400 years, for 400 years, every generation of the Israelites had lived in slavery to the Egyptians their entire lives. For 400 years. Some of you have grandparents that maybe got to 100. I don't know. Maybe they're lucky to get to 90. Um, to put this in perspective just a little bit, 400 years, that's almost twice as long as the United States has even existed. That's almost twice as long. Can you imagine that? That generation after generation after generation, no government, no rules, no you know, ruling authorities over you besides your Egyptian slave master. You're a slave, and you work hard labor your entire life. No child labor laws. You probably started young. And these Israelites are in slavery for 400 years. But now, here's the place where we pick up the story. It's just after the Israelites have been, I mean, the Exodus is they're pulled out of Egypt. They've been rescued from slavery by this guy Moses. You've all heard of Moses. And God brings him to a, to, to a mountain, and he calls Moses to the top of the mountain. And here's what God says. 
Here's what God says. So grab your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Here's the thing. One, we're just going to look at this one verse tonight. But it is so, so important and so, so powerful. And I guarantee you, if you've ever read this chapter before, you probably skipped right over this verse. Because we are so eager to get to the list. But I'm telling you, this one verse. You guys, this one verse is the introduction to the Ten Commandments. And the rest of the chapter, maybe you're already reading it. The rest of the chapter is the list of the ten. But there's this one verse, and it's so, so important. So here's what God says to Moses. Moses recorded this. Moses wrote the book of Exodus. But it starts, verse 1, says God spoke all these words. And God says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, again, So many of you have read over that verse before. You've looked at this chapter. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe it was third grade Sunday school. But you've looked at this verse before, and uh, maybe no big deal. But just stop here for a second, because this, this is a really big deal verse. God does not say to Moses, I am the Lord a God. And uh, here's ten rules for you. He doesn't even say, I am the God. He says, I am the Lord your God. And I brought you out of the land of slavery. Before he even gets to a command, he says, I am the Lord. You are. In other words, God very clearly declares himself to be their God before there is ever a commandment given. And the Israelites didn't have to follow any laws, yet God chose to declare a relationship with them. And so we may think that we know the history of the Ten Commandments, But if we only, you guys, if we only focus on the commandments themselves and we skipped over this, we'd really miss something critical that's a theme throughout the entire Bible. If all we focused on is a big, powerful God who ordered some, just some things from this scared little bunch of people, it's not the whole story. We're missing part of it. And if we aren't careful, we miss the bigger story. And it's this, that God acted first. That God moved first. When these guys... They knew not, I mean, God had been silent for 400 years. They were slaves. They maybe had some distant memory of one of their ancestors named Abraham, and that this God had appeared to them. But they were 400 years, almost almost twice as long as the U.S. has been a nation. But before the rules, before the requirements, before God, you guys, asked them to do anything, God made his character known, and he made his love known. And he pulls them out of Egypt, which was not an easy feat if you go back and read the beginning of Exodus. So by learning the whole story, we see that beginning a relationship with God is not based on our rule-keeping. It's not based on our rule-keeping. God establishes a relationship with His people before they even knew what the rules of God were. God didn't choose a people for Himself because of what they had done or because of how they had performed. He initiated the relationship. Now, here's the important thing to remember as we begin this series. I'm kind of throwing this at you in a lot of different, I I can word this a lot of different ways, but rules are never the starting point for a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Rules are never the starting point. And I don't know, you know, like, again, maybe if you've been a Christian your whole life, in your head you go, yeah, I know that. But we don't operate that way. I think by default we slip into going, yeah, but I have to perform. 
And once you have a relationship, sure, yeah. But there is never a rule given before you start a relationship with God. God has already chosen to act on our behalf regardless of our behavior. For a lot of us, the first taste, our very first taste of God at some point was the rules. And maybe for a lot of us, it still is the rules, which is why some of us have just resisted church. We've resisted God a whole lot. Maybe for some of us, it just becomes like, this is the default thing we do. I know I have a relationship with God. I know it's not about the rules, but we just don't really do anything. Let me give you kind of sort of a, a silly illustration. If you're a dog owner and you have a fence, whose dog do you keep in your fence? Your dog, right? Your dog. You put your dog in your fence. Did your dog become your dog when you put it in your fence? Yes or no? No. No, that's good. And um, what if the dog ran outside of the fence? Is it still your dog? Yes, it is. Now, let's say the dog ran outside of your fence and your neighbors called you from down the street and go, hey, I found your dog. And you go, no, no, that's not my dog because my dog is like in my fence. So that must be somebody else's dog. And they go, no, you're crazy. There's a like tag on the dog that says your name. It's your dog. So dumb illustration, but when did that dog become your dog? When you... That was good. When you bought it, did not become your dog when you put it in your fence, correct? No, you purchased the dog first. If you take someone else's dog and put it in your fence, you're a creeper and you're a dog thief, okay? And you shouldn't do that. You purchased the dog. That's what makes it your dog. And then you put it in your fence. It's the same way with us and God. So the rules are kind of like the fence. And the rules are set up to act like the fence. But the fence isn't what makes us God's people. The fence is not what makes us have a relationship with God. The fence doesn't determine whether, whether we know God or not. We're already God's before there was ever a fence. So again, maybe write this down if you've not wrote nothing else down. Relationship always precedes rules with God. Relationship always precedes rules with God. Now, are there some rules? Once you're in a relationship... You actually care about what that person in your relationship wants. Like Leslie and I in our marriage, we don't call them rules, but once you're in a relationship, you want to do things to honor the other person, to love the other person, to show them love. You do and don't do certain things. But relationship always precedes rules with God. And the biggest thing to God came before the Ten Commandments, Back when they were in Egypt, when God initiated that relationship with them, the primary question for his people was simply this, will you trust me? Will you trust me? So if you're not a Christian, maybe you're here tonight, and I know that's maybe not a lot of you, or if you have some questions about this whole Christianity thing, let me tell you something about Christians. You will rarely ever meet a Christian who's changed the way that he or she has lived because of guilt. Because they, cha- they came to church their whole life, and they were like, you just, we just pound the guilt in when you go to church, and they felt so guilty that they're like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to like totally shape up and change because of guilt. You will almost never find that. Is there a lot of guilt in church? Yes, there is, and there shouldn't be, and that's wrong. But 
Guilt almost never will change someone. But you will meet a whole bunch of Christians who will tell you some kind of story about their miniature exodus story. Their miniature, we all have some kind of exodus out of a former life, out of a life of sin. If you were five, maybe you were just ignorant of God before that. That was your miniature exodus story. If you ask, though, the adults in this room and even many of the students, they would all have some kind of story, not of guilt, not of manipulation by God, not of feeling like talked into it, but of realizing how much God loved them way before they understood the rules, way before they understood anything that the Bible had to say. They'd tell you they were depressed and they met God, or they would tell you how meaningless their life felt, or they would tell you how their parents got divorced and they didn't know what to do, or how they felt like social outcasts, or they were alone, or they were addicted to something, or they were just lost. And it wasn't just church, but God, God did something in their life that changed everything. And it was the love of God, that's what it was. They'd tell you how God, they'd go to God and say, God, I've done everything wrong. I'm so, I've ran so far from you, I could care less about you. God, do you still like, love me like, despite all that stuff? And God would say, yeah, and he did say, yeah, in a lot of your lives. And you go, I want that. I want a God that says, I'll take you back. I'll give you a million chances. You can run as far away from me as you, as you, as you can, and I'll take you back. And we want that. It's a story you'd hear over and over again. So we're going to talk a whole lot about how the fence exists in the next couple of weeks and why the fence exists. But the point is this. God has given us rules and laws and, command, and, and commands because he loves us. Not because he loves rules and laws and commands. And not because he wants us to try to prove something to him or perform for him. God has, giving, has given us rules and laws and commands because we're already His. We're already His. We're already in with God. So let me ask you something before we close tonight. Has there ever been a time in your life when you have had that like defining moment with God? When you just said, God, I want to put my faith in you. I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand a lot of the rules. I don't understand a lot of the, the story in it. I've never read it. But God, there's something missing in my life. I feel like there's a void. And I'm tired of living by myself. And I'm tired of feeling alone. And God, I think there's something here. And have you ever had that conversation with God where you just say, God, you want me to trust you? I will. I'll trust you with my life. And not just this little part of my life, but like, God, I want you to take the driver's seat. If you've never done that, maybe you say you've been a Christian your whole life, but you're still unsure, I hope you do that tonight. That's not a prayer that saves you, but you just can go to God and say, God, I'm tired of this. I believe that I've, I've turned away from you. I've rebelled against you. You you're created me, and you're a good God, and I've gone my own way, but God, I want you to be the, the driver of my life. It can be as simple as that. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and maybe you've even heard all this stuff before, but maybe you still go, I'm just not sure. I just don't really know. I've never, I don't feel like I've done enough. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I'm on the performance track, and I need to get on the trust track. And so maybe you have a conversation at some point tonight, too, before you go to bed, or I don't know, and you say, God, I really do want this. I really do want you. The most important thing you can do tonight as we head to small groups, 
is to, is to realize this. God does not want to trap you into some guilt-ridden relationship. The rules, as we'll see in the next couple of weeks, they're meant to free us. They're meant to free us. They're meant to open us up to life, to true life, to a good life. They're not meant to put us in a box. God's not a God who operates through guilt manipulation. So God has made it clear throughout the whole Bible, but even in this one verse, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. He says that, and then you have to understand that first. And then here's ten commandments. Here's just 10, if you have a relationship with me. God has made it crystal clear that the, the number one thing he wants for you and him is a relationship. And the rules, the rules are simply a confirmation of that relationship. Write down this one last thing. If I, I think this is maybe, maybe it's been on the screens, maybe it hasn't been. They're not a condition of the relationship. They're a confirmation of the relationship. They're not a condition of the relationship. They're a confirmation of the relationship. Let's pray. God, I thank you for that. God, there are so many philosophies and worldviews out there. God, that we could, we could uh, pound on ourselves rules and laws and lists of, God, how good we have to be. God, the crazy thing is that the Ten Commandments, they're actually not the standard in the Bible. That if, if we only obey those ten, then somehow we'll get into your good graces. And you'll save us. God, I thank you for that. That you want a relationship with us. You don't want to throw religion on us. And God, it's so freeing. God, I love to know that they're not a condition of the relationship, but they're a confirmation of it. So God, remind us tonight that you saved us and you saved the Israelites before you gave them the the rules. Before you ever gave them the rules, you said, you're mine. I am your God. You're already in. And so, Guys, if you're here tonight, and God, we say to you, God, if there's people in this room that are here tonight and they've never prayed to you, it can be as simple as just going to God and saying, God, I've done it my own way my whole life. I've turned away from you. I've rebelled against you. God, it maybe hasn't even been consciously, but I've done my own thing, and I want you in my life. God, I trust you. I want you to take the driver's seat of my life. God, I don't know where I'm going, and I need you. I need truth. I need a relationship with the one true living God. And God, I believe that in you, that you sent your son to die in our place. And God, that we're saved based on his record, not based on our record. So it's not even about being good enough. It's because Jesus was good enough for us. And God, that's such good news and we need it tonight. So God, thank you that we can be one with you because of Jesus and not by, not by our own record. Because God, by our own record, we're all going to fall short. But God, I, this is such good news. God, we need to own it ourselves and we need to run, to run to others and tell them about it. But God, I pray that there's people in this room that have never had that conversation with you, God. They'd do that tonight and they'd start a relationship with you. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Ten Commandments as we study them more in the next three weeks. God, we look forward to that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.